You know, usually in the summer, everything kind of calms down around here, but it seems like this isn't going to be one of those years, uh, which is fine with me because I, I love seeing all the activity and all of the people engaged in different things that have, uh, have, have a way of making a difference in the lives of other people. And I... I I think it's probably God's providence that in the message series that I've been doing that uh, these things seem to be working together pretty nicely. And today we're going to kick off a new message series on the book of James. I don't know if you've ever read that book or not, but it is what everyone calls the practical how-to guide uh, of all the books in the New Testament. You know, I think the Apostle Paul, who I've been a huge student of for so long, uh, I think everyone sort of has a big question in their life. And if the Apostle Paul had a big question, you know, I think it would be is, why is it that the resurrection and the, and the, and the bloodstained cross are so important? And, and, and what difference can it make uh, to Greeks-speaking uh, and cultured people? And Paul really wrestles with all these ideas. And... Back in Jerusalem, uh, there's a guy who is a, a leader in the church, and pretty much everyone has uh, who who uh, he was in, in a in a circle with has scattered. Uh, Peter went off in one direction, and Mark off in another, and you know eventually when Paul came on the scene, he also uh, was in and out, and as uh, this person was looking at the situation that he had found himself and he's still at the, at, at the center of where it all began, uh, the city of Jerusalem. And this person is commonly known as the brother of Jesus, James. And if James had a big question, you know what I think it would be? That is, how do you live this thing out? called the way, called being a follower of Jesus. How do we take what we know and make it real in the lives of people around us? And I think if you were to follow that line of inquiry a little bit, you would find that as you read through the book of James, he gives us a pretty clear understanding of what we do with what we have. Um, and, and that's what I really like about how he approaches it because unfortunately as you probably know I'm one of those people that has to ask why all the time and um, I'm not always heavy on the how end and I, I love having people in my world who are big on the how like what do we do with this pastor let's take it down to the ground level and uh, James helps us to do that I think it's interesting as we go into the book of James, in some ways uh, we've been seeing it play out in, in, in what's been going on. So I just want to kick it off by, by looking at some of the opening verses of the book of James. I'm going I'm to start with verse 2 uh, because the opening part is James uh, talking uh, to those that, that, that he's writing to with greetings uh, who are scattered. And here's what he says. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask God who gives generously without 
reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. I'm just going to stop right there for, for, for just a moment. And I actually want to back up to the, to the opening verses if we can, Brian. And I, I want you to, um, uh, I, I want to just do a little bit of a survey. Whenever you are facing a trial, is your immediate response joy, happiness? What is it? What, how, how do you handle it? Is it, oh man, not again? Or is it, what can I do to avoid this trial? Or maybe you're thinking, what did I do to deserve this trial? And we can't ever really fully know uh, all the reasons why we experience what we experience. But what the writer of, uh, of, this, of this just very short letter wants us to realize is that Embedded within the struggles that we face are tremendous joys that can open up and blossom. And if you took um, any circumstance that you went through in life or that you're going through now and you just left it up to yourself to try to face it, uh, you might not find joy to be the thing that is the outcome. But if you take anything that you're going through, in some cases the question is, why am I being tested the way I am being tested? And I've seen in the course of the last year a number of you going through tests. I've seen people go through chemotherapy. I've seen people go through some financial struggles. I've seen people go through vocational struggles. I've seen people look at their relationships and say, are they ever going to heal? Are they ever going to get right? I've seen people deal with drug addiction and alcoholism. And in every one of those things, I've just labeled it as a test. And for them, I know as they're going through it, a lot of them had started to kind of doubt. And they wondered, God, you've been good to me up until now, but I am going through something that is very horrific. And I'm just not so sure. And I have to tell you, when people get baptized, and then they come up out of the baptismal waters, and then they go into the life experience that God has mapped out for you, it does parallel what Jesus went through. There is a time of testing. There is a time of trial. There is a time where God is asking the question, are you up to what, uh, what, what you've been called to do? And I've seen a number of people, because I don't know that they have the support mechanisms that they've needed, who have been tested and have fallen away. But I've seen other people come up out of those baptismal waters and find, like, um, like, like I think I can speak, uh, not speak out of turn, uh, with uh, my, my friend Luke Kassenhuber, who was baptized just a very short while ago, only to have his mother in the hospital the next week, dealing uh, with, a, with a, 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 a back uh, issue that he hadn't been confronting, and a few other things. And I'm, I'm looking at my friend, and I'm saying, I'm not saying consider it pure joy, but I am saying um, these things happen. And don't be surprised when they do, because it's not a question of if, 
but when. And when they happen, the best way James says, you respond to it. I don't know if that's me. For you and I to respond to it is to start by considering it pure joy. But like any of us, we got to have a reason, at least I do anyway, why when I face various trials. And the trials could not only be the things I mentioned in terms of, of tests, but it could be also persecution. Some of you are trying to be bold in your faith to people around you, and you're finding that other people are not, well, they're not, they're not liking it too well. And it may be that you're just trying to be a good person and they find that to be offensive because you're doing it in the name of Christ. And I don't know if you experience uh, any pushback from people, but, but I do periodically as a pastor. Sometimes a, a person will say, you know, I'm going in this direction, but I know uh, as, a, as a pastor, you think that you should go in that direction. And, and, and they, and they kind of test you on it a little bit. But I think the other thing that, uh, that, that may be in play more in our lives when we're looking at all kinds of trials are temptations. And temptations are things that happen from within. It is a desire that begins to emerge into something that takes on a life of its own. And everyone has their own dark side. We each have our own things that we struggle with that put up barriers between ourselves and God. And uh, those are things that James says, they'll happen. But the reason why God allows any of it to happen is what? So that it can produce something. Because it is under the conditions of testing that God is able to show us where we lack and where we're strong. And for each of us, it's, it's just different. What's easy for me may be hard for you and what's hard for you uh, or easy for you may be hard for me. And when James begins to describe the process, he said that the faith that emerges out of that, the idea that I'm going into this eyes wide open, I know I'm being tested, I know God is present, I know Jesus was tested, I know that there is even a joy embedded in this. And as I'm aware of that, I realize something, that God is using all of these different things that we do not like, that sometimes make us just want to quit. And he's saying, no, they're there to make you stable. Now, I've always believed this, and, and, and maybe Sean... Uh, you can testify to this because you, you've gone from uh, being an elder to being chairman of the elders. And I've seen Sean go through testing. And I, I honestly believe, since I'm picking on him, I honestly believe that some of the tests that you've had prior to getting into those roles are just God's way of saying, I'm, I'm helping you to become even more steadfast. I'm helping you to grow as a leader. And the only way that you can grow is to go through trials of many kinds. And for any of us, the only way that we grow is we go through trials. Now that word joy at the very beginning trips us up a little bit, doesn't it? Because you're saying, where is the joy in that? And every time I hear that word, I, 
I always remember that phrase in the book of Hebrews that says that when Jesus was getting ready to go to the cross, it says that he was steadfast in directing his, his heart and his mind towards that cross because he saw beyond that cross something greater. And the writer of Hebrews describes it as the joy set before him. He endured the shame. He actually, he despised the shame and he endured the cross because of something that was on the other side. And every time I go through a struggle that I know that I'm trying to do something in line God's purposes, I think about the fact that God has something on the other side. And when I see people struggling in our church, and I realize that some of us feel like we're victims in the whole thing, or we feel like God maybe has abandoned us, He is, is quite the contrary. What God is saying, I'm allowing this because there is something greater on the other side, and the only way for you to get there is to go through it. And how many of you have persevered? through a deep, deep struggle and you discovered that when you did, you and God got closer in the process. That it really caused you to lean on Him in ways that you had never leaned on Him before. And one of the struggles that James had, if I could just be candid, is the struggle between being a nominal Christian and a Christian that says... Jesus first in everything. And I know this firsthand because I've been reading James every year since I've been a believer. And it's been well over 30 years. And as I read this book, I know that there's a part of me that's kind of nominal, that's kind of cruise control, that's kind of complacent, that's kind of settled, that kind of feels like the life that I have, I don't really want it to be too disrupted. I'm good with it. I I like everything being in order the way it is. And then there's another part of me that God says, uh, you may think that's okay, but it's kind of okay, but it's not good enough for where we're going. And so every year that I read this book, God gives me a new struggle, a new challenge, a new way of having to confront life circumstances. And in every situation that God finds me faithful in, I discover on the other side of it, there's a joy. And I'm not the only one, I'm sure. And what James is trying to do is give you and I perspective on how we look at what we face. Because we don't face it alone. Every difficulty that is thrown into your path is a difficulty that God's allowed. I'm not saying that he has... has, Uh, caused it he's just allowed it and in allowing it he's saying I want to go through it with you because what it's going to do is it's going to bear fruit in your life and it's going to actually at the end of this uh, uh, verse 4 it says what it's going to make us perfect and complete you cannot get to the perfection that God is calling us to walk into without going through trials. It will not happen. 
I know maybe some of us have this understanding that once I get Jesus in my life, all that drama that I was part of before, it's all going to go away. Once I get Jesus in my life, life's going to be good because I'm getting everything in order. And I just want to tell them, on one level, it is true. Your heart will be changed. The Holy Spirit will change your demeanor. You may go from being an angry person all the time to a person that's actually pretty gentle. And I've seen that. You may go from a person whose heart is filled with, with um, uh, insecurity and fear and, and uncertainty about your identity to a person that is saddled in the things of God where you feel secure in Him and where you know your place in Him. You may go from a person that looks at other people through the eyes of what can, what can they give me or through the eyes of lust or through the eyes of things that the world says this is how we relate to others to a place where you begin to see people as made in God's image and likeness. And rather than seeing them as a means to your end, you see them as someone that you can serve and find joy in loving. And God will do that right out of the gate. But he'll also undo so much of what has been miswired in our lives. And James wants us to be sure right out of the gate that when we embrace the things of Jesus, it's not going to be easy, but it's going to be worth it because it's going to produce something in your life. And the thing that I like about what he promises in this is summarized in the next verses that we read because God is there in the background tracking with each of you. And James says... If you're trying to figure out what's going on in your life and you can't and you lack wisdom, ask God. God is just sort of waiting. He's sort of waiting by the phone and he's saying, I'm I'm ready for you to give me that call so that I can provide what you need to hear. And God's going to say, I'm going to offer it to you in a way that... um, uh, Uh, is just based on my, my good and loving character. But here's the problem. A lot of us only go to God whenever things are going well. Or maybe James says, if you're a nominal Christian, you kind of ride the waves. When, when it's exciting, it's all good. When it's rough, well, you're checked out and distracted by something else. And it's easy to be that way. It's easy to come to church when things are going awesome and exciting, when there's lots of energy and, and, and maybe some element of entertainment. And, and when you leave, you think, man, I really feel good about myself. And don't get me wrong, that's really a, a wonderful thing. But a steady diet of that to the exclusion of having those moments where you really have a dark night of the soul, where you are being tested and your back is up against the wall. God is saying, don't be, through James, don't be like the waves when they come in and and they just are up and down and they have seemingly um, their their own life, but in reality, all they are is a response. You ever, you ever been to the ocean and, and seen the waves at work? 
When we went to um, the Outer Banks the last time, um, it got pretty stormy, and I saw something that, that the waves did that I had never seen before. Uh, they just began to work on the beach. And by the time uh, the waves had spent a couple of hours just working on the beach, there was a big trough that was just, just dug out in the beach. And so the beach kind of went like this, and then down like that. Uh, uh, almost a couple of feet and then out like that. And I'm like, what caused that? Was it the waves? Or were the waves just responding to other forces? Well, according to people that know more than I do, it was a combination of the, the location of the moon to the earth as well as some other events that were happening weather-wise uh, way out in the ocean. And they were just influencing the waves in such a way that it created that effect. What am I trying to say here? Is that your life, whether um, it, it, all the ups and downs of your life, maybe because you're not grounded in something stable. And the first thing that James says is, don't just let your life be buffeted around by the things that are, are stirring in the culture around you. Where you feel good when the culture makes you feel good or when circumstances make you feel good. Or you feel like you have to basically follow the, 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 the way of, of how the world is functioning in order to be online with what's good. James says no. Underneath all of the ups and downs, there needs to be a stable presence. And that stable presence is what James says uh, we find through faith by connecting with God in every circumstance. And when you come to church and you pray, and maybe you pray alongside me when we offer these prayers. Or maybe in your own home when you pray and you ask God out of desperation, God, will you help me? I, w I, w I want to just give you a, a little bit of advice. When you ask God to help, I have no doubt he will help you. But it will always be in his own way for his own purposes. And his purpose is to work through it to perfect you. But God also wants to take the circumstances of life to teach you to lean on him through the eyes of faith. Now if you've been knocked around a little bit and you've reflected on it enough, you start to develop what the, something that the Bible calls wisdom. The ability to comprehend God's purposes in any circumstance so that you can make sense of it through his eyes. And you can't get that right out of the gate. Well, as James is offering this, this information, um, I want to just extend the thought out into the next set of verses and then, and then conclude it. He says... Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers with the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life 
which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And I want to end the thought right there because I think it just in, 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 in sort of an, uh, an enclosed loop has a way of telling you and I something. And that is there will be trials. But our perspective should be the trials are there for a purpose to allow us to work through our faith and to begin to trust God. And James says in a very personal way, a very personal God is overseeing the processes that are going on in your life and he won't let you go. He won't, he won't abandon, abandon you or get busy over here doing something else. God is always there because he is always working. And James says you have to trust that because he is up to something in your life and mine all the time. And yet he says, but you can also go your own way. And if you do, it's going gonna, it's gonna to bring something into the world that takes on a life of its own. He said, when desire comes, that is the desires, and don't get me wrong, desires are fine, but some desires are godly and some are ungodly. And when ungodly desires come, it's kind of like a, a, a mother who conceives. That desire brings forth a child. And so there's a, 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 another generation of something that's taken on a life of its own that, that, that James describes as a child that is the outcome of that desire. And he calls that sin. And then he says that sin will actually, whatever characteristic it has, it will begin to take on a life of its own in such a way in your life that it will offer another child and that the offspring of that will be death. And it's just a progression of a simple desire that at the end of the road is, is the death of our very soul. And what James wants us to know is that you got to call that out. You have to recognize that's just part of the testing called temptation working against you and creating its own life. What can that mean? I think for some it means bitterness. Maybe you have a next door neighbor that just gets under your skin and you're thinking, you know what, every time I see that person, I just, I get angry. I get frustrated. And maybe God's saying, yeah, you know what? That could probably, if it, if it continues to grow, offer its own child and it could mean some kind of dispute. It could mean that there could be fists flying. You never know. But James would say, take that test and use it as an opportunity redemptively 
to pray for that neighbor, to lift that person up. And that desire that starts to take hold of you, that's bitterness and anger, becomes rather a sense of anticipation and wonder. I wonder what God's going to do in my neighbor's life. And I believe that James says you can anticipate that because God says, I'm there to work through it. There are two resources that we have that keep sin from giving birth to death in our lives. And there are two resources that move us from being a nominal Christian that is just right in the waves of life to a person that is surrendered to God and looking for ways to bless other people. And you know what it is? It is, it is the eyes of faith that see the presence of God in your life every day and see the opportunities that he's pr- placing before you. And the second thing that you cannot neglect is the word. In the last verse that we read, it said the word. And there is, there is no other way that I'm aware of that you can gain wisdom, that you can gain perspective, that you can look at life and find the resources that you need for it without the word. You just cannot. The word is the most neglected yet the most beneficial resource that God has ever provided for us. It is so rich. It is a lamp unto our our, our feet and a light unto our path. It is God's way of saying, if you are confused, go to the word. If you are tested, go to the word. If you are tempted, go to the word. And the word will be the means by which you hear my voice and you connect with me. And so I wonder, what kind of desires are you letting give birth to sin in your life? What kind of sins are leading you on a downward spiral into something that is dehumanizing and death bringing? Well, I have the answer for you. And it is in God's word. It is centered in Jesus who creates the relationship where God can come to bear upon our every situation in a way that's very intimate and personal. And the word of God as a means by which you can take all of the things that you're going through and find that map that you need for navigation. You know, one of the gifts that I gave my son Christian whenever he went to Uzbekistan or Kyrgyzstan or whatever stand he's at right now, um, and obviously I don't know any of those places and nobody, nobody else does either, was I gave him a GPS watch. And I thought, you know, if nothing else, if he loses his way, he can, get, he can, get, um, uh, he can find his way with this watch. And I, I paid good money for it. As a matter of fact, I paid so much money for it, I said, I know you're not graduating this year, but consider this your graduation present. <laughs> but the thing was, there were no maps for Kyrgyzstan or Uzbekistan. And there was only one guy in the whole world who actually had those maps for that watch. And he was in the Netherlands. And Christian had to email this gentleman and say, do you have the maps? Because I don't want to lose my way. And this gentleman said, I don't give the maps to just anybody. 
What's, what's your purpose? What's your business? And Christian told him and he said, I'll get back with you. And the night before he left, the guy sent him an email and said, okay, I'll give you the maps. And so he downloaded the maps. And then I called Christian uh, yesterday. I hadn't heard from him in a few weeks. And I said, Christian, um, uh, how's that watch working? Because I spent a lot of money on that watch. And, and he said, well, you know what, Dad? I was in Uzbekistan in some town that had a million people that, I can't, that he, he could pronounce, but I couldn't. And he said, I, had no, I, I got dropped off late at night. I had no idea where I was going. And I didn't know who to, who to ask. It was late at night. And I pulled my watch out. I typed in the address. And I realized, had I not had that watch, I don't know where I would have ended up at. Well, I felt a little validated. Because that watch cost me a lot of money. <laughs> and I realized that, isn't it amazing how just a simple map makes all the difference? And what James is saying is, as complex as the Bible can be, in a lot of ways, it is just a simple map. It is the pathway to God through a bloodstained cross and an empty tomb. And everything that derives from that is God's way of saying, through that path, I am shaping you into a new person. It will change who you are. Which reminds me of another interesting anecdote regarding my son Christian. See, he, he found a way to complicate his life a little bit further by finding a girlfriend about three months before he went. And when I talked to him on the phone the other day, he said, I got to let you go because I got to call my girlfriend. <laughs> I realized something right then and there that the priority that I had in his life had diminished somewhat. <laughs> but one thing that he had said to her before he left it was, I don't know how this trip is going to change me. But I can assure you, it probably will. And I honestly can't tell you how this trip is going to change you. But it definitely will. And it will for the better. And the map that you need, God is not saying to us, tell me your purpose so much as, do you need rescued? And if you do, that really is the basis by which we begin our first steps. And we come to that Father who is unchanging, who is always faithful, and is abundantly generous in giving us everything that we need along the way. And as we do, he gives us not only the GPS and the map, but he gives us the promise that he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. And on the other side of that promise, is a joy that is unspeakable and unimaginable that is set before us. And I want to invite you into that journey on that road that is resourced 
by God himself and his word. Would you join us as we begin those steps of faith on how to walk in life in Christ?